the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. See, it's not enough to speak about love or even tell someone, hey, I love you. John says that you have to show it. You show love. Love is an action. Love is, love is a verb. You show it by deeds of kindness. And that's why he closes this section with an appeal to us. He says in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Simply put, this statement means love is action. It's not words. Love does rather than speaks. Having been both an industrial electrician and a mechanic, I have seen firsthand the importance of proper lubrication for moving parts. If they are not properly lubricated, people, like machinery, develop destructive friction as they rub on each other. Acts of love work on our relationships, like oil works on crankshaft bearings. Hi, I'm glad you joined us for another verse-by-verse radio Bible study. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher. We're in 1 John, Chapter 3, and our topic is how to recognize the children of God. One thing that sets children of God apart from children of Satan is their love for each other. But love is much more than just nice words. Really showing love involves sacrifice, sometimes daily sacrifice. Before he gets into that, though, Pastor Steve wants to remind us of something important to remember as we consider verse 15 of 1 John 3, which says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Since we all sometimes feel hatred, this can be a very scary verse if we're not careful. Here's Pastor Steve to explain. Now, once again, we want to be very careful that we don't misunderstand what John is teaching us. Otherwise, we could rob ourselves of the assurance of salvation rather than gain it. See, when John says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and that no murderer has eternal life, he isn't talking about isolated incidents in which we find ourselves having a horrible, hateful attitudes towards someone. Listen, we've all done that. We've all done that. All of us have experienced that type of hatred. And if you say, not me, then you're, you're kidding yourself. We all at times can get caught up in feelings of deep animosity towards people, God's people. Someone calls surges of hatred. We have anger in our hearts towards another Christian. That's not what John is talking about. John is not talking about just an isolated time once in a while, he's referring to someone who, watch this, continues as a way of life to harbor hatred and hateful attitudes without any remorse, any repentance, or any concern. It doesn't bother them. In fact, there are some people who just live that way. They, they just rather enjoy being angry at other people. Hatred and anger are just ways of life for the non-Christian And God calls this kind of person a murderer because, 
That's exactly what they are. Since the Bible says that murder is the outward expression of inward hatred. In other words, while not everyone actually commits the deed of murder, all who have hateful anger in their hearts are considered by God as murderers because their attitude is exactly the same. This is precisely what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Let me show you this, and I think you're very familiar with it. Matthew chapter 5, when on the Sermon on the Mount, he said in verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told, meaning the Jewish people were told years ago, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And I said, you've been taught by the rabbis that it's not right to commit murder. That's how they interpret one of the Ten Commandments. But he says, I'm going to clarify this, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What Jesus is saying is, look, when I gave Moses the Ten Commandments, this was my intent from the beginning. When I told Moses for the Jewish people in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not murder, what I meant by that is not only don't you physically murder somebody, but don't hate them in your heart. That's what I intended. That's the full meaning of the law. If you look at somebody and you say you good for nothing and you have horrible, angry thoughts about them in your heart, then you are guilty of murder. That's precisely what Jesus is talking about. John Calvin put it this way, for we wish him to perish whom we hate. We wish the one whom we hate to perish. So we're murderers. But that's the pattern of life. So don't be troubled if you find yourself, well, I really resent this person. I really have a surge of hatred in me. That's isolated. Repent. Ask the Lord to, to help you pray for that person. Pray for good things to happen in that person's life. You'll get over it. But John is referring to a way of life that is not repentant, that is not remorseful, that's not even convicted. They just hate God's people. Now, once again, let me clarify something when John says that no murderer is a Christian. John does not mean that a true Christian isn't capable of committing the act of murder. He does not mean that a real Christian couldn't murder somebody. True Christians have murdered people. It's a shameful thing, obviously. True Christians have taken their own lives. So he's not saying that a true Christian could never murder. Nor is John teaching that someone who's a murderer can never be saved. He's not saying that at all. He simply means that someone whose life is characterized by murderous deeds or murderous, angry, hateful thoughts, evidences by those murderous, angry, hateful thoughts and attitudes and inner workings of the heart that they have never been regenerated. They are haters. They are characterized by hatefulness. Paul said this in Titus 3. He said to Titus, make sure in verse 2, he said to malign no one to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once, and now he goes back and he says, here's the way we once were before we were saved. We were foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. He said we spent our lives in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's the way we were, and we weren't about to change. We didn't care. That's an unregenerate person. So the first truth that John says about God's children loving the brethren is that loving one another is one very critical mark of being a real Christian. But what exactly does John mean by love? You know, non-Christians, as I said, they speak about love, and they speak about love in all sorts of ways, all sorts of ways. Natural family affection is called love. Sexual passions are referred to as love. Emotional feelings are known as love. Obsessions are often called love, or I I love this, or I love that. Sentiment, infatuation, all of these things are considered love by the world, but that's not the kind of love that John is talking about. The kind of love that he's talking here, and he says characterizes true Christians, is love that is Christ-like in nature. Since it comes from Christ and it's part of the new nature that he grants us in salvation. So, having already told us that love is the evidence of salvation, John now moves on to tell us that love is expressed in Christ-like sacrifice. Verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What a great truth. Most of us know John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16, just as profound. In light of the world's very superficial and erroneous views of love, John writes here that every Christian has come to know the meaning of true love. The world doesn't. That's why they can sing about it and call all kinds of things love. But John says we know love because we know Christ's love. We understand the cross. We know the real meaning of love because we know that God has demonstrated his love for us In Christ's sacrificial death, he died for us on the cross. That's the supreme example of love. And it defines love as self-sacrifice, giving of ourselves. See, just as John said that Cain was the supreme example of hatred because he took someone's life. He robbed someone of life. So Jesus is the supreme example of love because he gives himself. He gave himself on the cross on behalf of others to benefit others. He didn't take from them, he gives. It's interesting to note that most of the time when the New Testament speaks about God's love, it speaks of it in the context of the death of Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Galatians chapter 2, let's look at this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul writes, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, notice this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here it's very personal. Paul isn't even talking about Christ giving his life for the church. He's talking about he gave his life for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his love He demonstrated his love because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this, 
is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for for our sins. You see, it is the cross that reveals God's love most clearly, and it is in giving up his life that Jesus demonstrates his love for us and makes us aware of what love is even all about. But Christ's sacrifice himself, folks, it's not something that we just embrace for salvation. I mean, obviously, that's where it begins. It isn't something we just admire and we, we worship, and that's true. His sacrificial love for us goes a step further. It is also to be our example, our example. Notice the end of verse 16, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, once again, we need to be careful that we don't misunderstand what John is, is saying here. He's not telling us that we can, like Jesus, atone for anyone's sins. He obviously can't be saying that because only Christ's perfect life and then his death on the cross could atone for sin. Nor is John even saying that all of us necessarily have to die in a heroic fashion to help out another believer. What he is saying, though, is that Christians should love one another to such an extent that they should be willing to lay down their lives physically for a sister or brother in need, if necessary. A sister or brother in Christ, if necessary. We ought not to just pass over this and say, well, he obviously isn't talking about physical dying. I think he's talking about being willing to do that, if necessary. But physically dying for someone actually would be the exception rather than the rule. It actually might be easier than what John is really about to tell us. You see, the general principle that John is laying down here is that true Christ-like love is daily sacrifice of ourselves in order to benefit others. It isn't a once and for all, I'll die for you. It is a daily, I will die for you. See, the way we express love is by dying to ourselves in the, note this, ordinary, mundane issues of life. That's the point here. For example, giving up our valuable time to help a fellow Christian. That's how we love. Living less lavishly so that we can give some money to a believer in need. That's how we love. Giving our undivided attention to someone who just wants to talk to us, even though we have so many other things to do, that is showing Christ's love. Giving up our desires to do something for the good of our spouse or children, that's love. In fact, one of the most significant ways that Scripture teaches us to show love to our spouse is to make sure that our sexual relationship with them is about giving pleasure rather than taking pleasure. Let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about what real love is to be like in the bedroom of a husband and wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 5. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Paul says it's fine, and he goes on to say if he's got the gift of singleness that he doesn't get married. That's fine. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. Each woman is to have her own husband. Notice this. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. That is his responsibility to love her enough to give her pleasure and not take pleasure. 
And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So he says, stop depriving one another. What Paul is talking about for a husband and wife is that in the bedroom, it's all about giving, not taking. That's, that's simply an extension of what John is saying concerning love. Years ago, a missionary pastor by the name of Walter Trobish wrote a book entitled, I Loved a Girl. And he wrote this book in order to teach what true love is all about. He was a missionary in Africa, and he wanted to teach his people what love is about in the context of marital relationships. The small book is an exchange, actually, of letters between a young African boy and Trobish, his pastor, after this young boy had been sexually intimate with a young lady and had written to tell his pastor about it. And I want to I just read to you one of uh, his pastor's letters to this young, this young African boy. He said, One phrase in your letter struck me especially. You wrote, I loved a girl. That is also the name of the book. I loved a girl. He said, No, my friend, you did not love that girl. You went to bed with her. These are two completely different things. You had a sexual episode, but what love is, you didn't experience. It's true, you can say to a girl, I love you, but what you really mean is something like this, I want something. Not you, but something from you. I don't have time to wait, I want it immediately. This is the opposite of love, for love wants to give. Love seeks to make the other one happy and not himself. He goes on to write, let me try to tell you what it really should mean if a fellow says to a girl, I love you. It means I will give everything for you and I will give up everything for you, myself as well as all that I possess. I will live for you alone and I will work for you alone and I will wait for you. I will never force you, not even by words. I want to guard you, protect you, and keep you from all evil. I want to share with, with you all my thoughts, my heart, and my body, all that I possess. I want to listen to what you have to say. There is nothing I want to undertake without your blessing. I want to remain always at your side. What a great, great letter that a pastor wrote to this young boy. See, that's how love expresses itself. What John is teaching us is that in principle, in principle, the same kind of self-sacrifice that a husband is to show his wife is to be seen in the very practical ways that we treat fellow believers on a daily basis. Sense that we're willing to give up our lives, especially our material goods for the benefit of them. Look at verse 17, please. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John gives an illustration now of the way to show love to a fellow Christian. This is, he's really illustrating what it, what it means to love and show Christ's love. It's by giving him something if he needs it, something materially, If we have the wherewithal to supply it, that's what he means. If you see your brother in need and you really know that this is a need and you have the means to supply his need, you're to do it. Folks, it's as simple as that. If you observe a fellow Christian having a genuine, legitimate need and you have the means to meet that need, then you are to meet it. That is Christ like love. But if you see them in need, 
John says, and you can supply that need. You know it's legitimate. You've observed it. You can supply it. You have the means, but you don't. John says you can't possibly be a Christian. You can't possibly be a Christian. And why not? Because God's love cannot abide in you. Because if it did abide in you, then you would do exactly what Christ did, and that is sacrifice to give. You'd give. Listen, if you find that you never have any compassion upon a needy brother or sister in Christ, and I'm not talking about people who who do a scam. I'm not talking about people who come up and and tell you a a heartthrob story and you're not sure if they just want your money so they'll go out and get another drink. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you know a Christian who has a genuine need and you never, ever have any compassion, you have no concern for that brother or sister, although you see they have needs and you have the means to meet that need, but you don't, you can't possibly be a Christian. I love the way John Stott puts it in his commentary. He writes, as love does not dwell in the murderer, love does not dwell in the miser either. So if you're a miser to needy Christians, then you have to examine yourself. Are you really in the faith? Are you really in the faith? See, it's not enough to speak about love or even tell someone, hey, I love you. John says that you have to show it. You show love. Love is an action. Love is, love is a verb. You show it by deeds of kindness. And that's why he closes this section with an appeal to us. He says in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Simply put, this statement means love is action. It's not words. Love does rather than speaks. Love doesn't say, I'll pray for you without doing something tangible for you. Be like, seeing someone shivering on a cold night and they have no place to stay and they're freezing and you say, I'll pray for you, brother. And you walk along with an extra coat in your hand. Love doesn't do that. We've come to the Lord's Supper. This is so perfect because thank God Christ didn't only say that he loved us, He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, without any hope, any hope of being righteous legally before God, Christ laid down his life for us in death. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave himself for us. He is our savior, folks, but he is also our example. We're to love others. He calls us never to forget this, never to forget his love for us by commanding us to observe the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to do right now. You know that the Lord's Supper, taught in 1 Corinthians 11, taught in Matthew's gospel, Mark, all all the gospel accounts, is that on the night of the Passover, Jesus said, you've been remembering the exodus from Egypt all of these years. I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. Now you're to think about me. I am the Passover. I died for sinners. And when they trust me, I pass over their sin. The angel of death, of judgment, passes over their sin. And then Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So let's take a few minutes now to consider. Be thankful, number one, for what Christ has done for us, for salvation. Number two, let's consider our love for other people. Have we followed his example? It's one thing to 
thank the Lord that he has loved us and sacrificed for us, but have we loved others? Have we followed his example in giving? The Lord brings someone to your mind who's needy, poor. Maybe they're out of a job. Maybe some, something's happened in their life and their income has been cut severely. Maybe they've had some kind of unexpected emergency and they don't, they don't have as much money as they did. Can you help? Can you do something? Maybe you have some material good that they could use. Maybe you have far too much of what you have and you don't need it all. And maybe you need to have a simpler lifestyle. All these things let's consider as we spend some time with the Lord and then our leaders will pass out the elements. How about you? Do you see this kind of love for other believers in your own life? I'm sure every one of us could excel still more in how we show the kind of sacrificial love that Pastor Steve described for us. I'm glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside. We are a listener-supported ministry, and if you'd like to help support these programs, we try to make it a simple process. Just visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click on the Giving tab for more information. Please remember, though, that your own church comes first, and other ministries such as this one, as the Lord leads. If you're in the area and would like to visit Lakeside some Sunday, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. The web address is lakesidechapel.com. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.